0: Listener production. G'day, it's Rusty here. All set for part two of my podcast with Mr. Motocross legend, Jeff Leisk. Coming up, wheeling a sprint car, a post-race life reset and becoming an even bigger success story in the motorcycle industry as general manager of KTM and more. Now, if you haven't heard part one yet, jump back to the garage library and hit the gas on it. From his early years in WA and the influence of family to success on home soil and the great American dream. We begin part two by talking about a busy 1988 season, which included a memorable 500cc World Championship race win at the American Hollister GP and racing in Europe. The 88 season, a win 500cc World Championship race at uh, at Hollister in the US. There was European racing too. How busy did that schedule get that year the u.s is
1: always busy you know it's it's a big it's a big schedule not only from a racing point of view but the americans like to test a lot so you know you'd be on the east coast racing get back to california either on a if it's a supercross you get back on the sunday and then want you have the test track on monday and tuesday and maybe you train a bit more and then on thursday and then you fly off to the next race you know so it's 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 busy it's intense um it's it's a grind, you know. There's a lot of races that, that you that you run in the US, you know, and obviously, you know, entwined in that season was the US Grand Prix at Hollister, and I remember that we we were able to get up to Mammoth Mountain and do some preparation before that race, which which was really nice. It was a really nice place to kind of do some prep, and we had some good training runs, and and then Hollister, I think, was towards the coast. It was probably a three or four hour drive, and you know, we. Yeah, it, it's just one of those days that, that kind of went well for me, um, particularly in the second moto. Because you know, in the US, we were still racing the 30-minute motos where the FIM Grand Prix 500 was, was a 40 minutes plus two-lap race. So, So it's really the extra 10 minutes plus, plus an additional two laps. And so it's... It was a, it was a bit of a step up in terms of time out on out on the track, you know. So, yes, yeah, so I think in the second moto, I you know I managed to I think start well, and I remember Brock Glover chased me for most of the race, but I you know kind of held him at bay, and that was really my first ever um, Grand Prix Moto win, I guess you'd say. So yeah, it was cool. I,
0: I want to um, just expand there because you you brought it up about the the longevity of the races. I mean, to do you know thirty to, to forty minutes. Um, on the bike, uh, I, I think the schedule at one point uh, for you at its at its peak, Jeff, was something like fifty-two races a year. So to do that is immensely taxing on the body, mate, isn't it?
1: It is. It, you, your body really does get worn down, and you know that you you remember you have swollen ankles, and you know supercrosses and motocross, particularly supercross, just just beat you up, you know, and you you, mm. you come up short on it, short on a triple jump, and you the impacts are phenomenal, you know, and, and you're on the bike a lot to be a supercross rider. You're in a seven day period, including your race, you're probably on the bike four to five times out of the seven days. And, and there's a lot of risk, a lot of exposure uh, in your training and and a lot of wear and tear physically. So, but yeah, I, I did have some seasons where I also went to Europe and we did a lot of the, the indoor races and so on. And there were some years 50 plus races and yeah they're, they're big seasons you know they really really wear you down and i know um you know buddha and so on was probably even
0: more worn down so yeah it's pretty tough 89 you focus on the world championship europe i, I think at very early on round one holland you're, you're two seconds a lap faster than everyone else in in the first race but gut-wrenching Lee Ski. it ran out of fuel with it uh, mm. with a couple of laps to go didn't it
1: yeah i probably only needed to be a second a lap faster that probably would have been smarter <laughs> so mm. <laughs> yeah look we got that one wrong, that one wrong you know um and you know all of all of the the testing we did and you know we obviously did fill consumption runs and we yeah the tracks were just slower rougher and, uh, and and obviously the, the hype of that, that, that first moto, you know, I revved the bike more, I I, I pushed harder and, and yeah, we we came up short, you know, on fuel. And um, yeah, it was it was it was a bit of a blow, you know, because um, you like to you always like to start the season well. I guess, you know, people say if it starts well it ends well, right? So so it was a bit of a bit of a blow and uh you know, I came back won the on the second moto, regrouped it. Um, you know, that actually wasn't the difference in, you know, winning the title or coming, you know, either winning or whatever that year. Dave Thorpe, you know, had a very strong season and and, uh, and, and even if you put the points in from that race, he still of won the championship that year. So that was one of those ones, you know, it, it happens and you just got to move on, right? And, uh,
0: and focus on the next race. Well, and you did that, Jeff. I mean, four GP race wins that year. I think two overall GP victories. Second in the world. Uh, just based on what you said a, a moment ago, I mean, you, you've had life and time to think about a lot of uh, a lot of this stuff. What 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 is the emotion that you have around that now? On balance,
1: I always feel like you know, I left I, you know, I left a bit on the table. I I, I think that. Yeah, you know, if if you're not winning, you want to you look back and you go, well, why didn't I? You know, why why didn't I win? And and I think there's there are some regrets, you know, and there's some things that you thought you could have done better. So that's how I think about it, you know. So yeah.
0: The the, the training regime was unbelievable, though, Jeff. So so maybe you're being a little hard on yourself here. What what could you possibly what did you leave on the table?
1: Um, look, I just think there's, you know, there's times where you probably should be more focused or dedicated on on your sport, and um, yeah, I just felt like sometimes, you know, I just didn't possibly have my training, you know, where it, where it needed to be and things like that. So, but yeah, that's 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 what it was. You know, you have to accept that that's that's what you did then, and uh, and as you move through life, you you try to learn from those those situations, you know.
0: Later on, you became a, a you know a team manager and and very successful in business. Did some of the lessons in that filter through to helping others? Then, Jeff, has you know your lesson that you've just talked about. I'm not a believer in regret, and I often say that in the podcast because there's something positive that comes out of it, right? So, but but was has that helped others that have been under your wing along the way? Do you yeah,
1: think? I think so. You know, I think I use I use that to to motivate myself to hopefully be successful in other endeavors in, in life and yeah so it was like a progression for me you know once I finished racing I you know I had a little bit of time away from bikes to kind of recharge my batteries and then the, the KTM opportunity came about and um yeah it was something I, I was always interested in you know to to run a team in Australia and and kind of build that up and 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 yes absolutely you know that that uh um, those learnings come into play and yeah so you know we had a, a couple of good years with, with running a team and then the next step was really business and that was always something I was always interested in as well.
0: Let's just focus on a couple more to finish your own two-wheel racing chapter Jeff. Firstly uh, Greg Murphy's done a, a, a beautiful little package that sums up your career that people can find on on YouTube. He voiced it and and in it he reminds us um, thankfully, about the fact that you won the famed Paris Bercy Supercross that same that same year, I think it was '89 too, mate. It was an epic finish as well, wasn't it? That that one must be a, a very special one.
1: Yeah, it was. It was um, you know, the Paris events. Uh, actually, it's it's still still running to this day. Um, and I think uh, Chad Reed was the first Aussie to kind of win because uh, I think it generally runs over four nights. So he was the first one to kind of win. Win the overall, but I was the first one to you know, obviously Aussie to win a night, and uh, yeah, you know they're, they're great events, a lot of showmanship, and you know they always had a good rider, a strong rider lineup, and uh, all the top Americans always participated in that event. And I think the particular year I wanna you know, I had a really close battle with Ricky Johnson, and I think it was it was pretty cr- close across the finish line. So yeah, that that was a that was a bit of a highlight. I really enjoyed uh, winning winning that event.
0: Nine and was a bit of a, a frustrating season for you, and it, you'd ultimately call time on on your racing, and you'd finish in front of your home crowd in WA, which I think is really cool. In the same way, you just look back on on life and life's learnings, Jeff. Did you stop too soon? Is that is that something that you've thought about since, or were you were you happy to to call that the finish line at that point?
1: Yeah, I mean that one there, I I, I don't really no no regrets on that one. I, I think. Um, you know, racing is such a tough, a tough sport. You know, particularly motocross. Um, if if you're not fully invested in it mentally, spiritually, um, it's probably the last thing you want to do. Um, when it's all good and then the spirit's good and the motivation's there, then then maybe that's the only thing you want to do because it's such a thrilling, enthralling uh, sport. So yeah, I think for me, the time was right, you know, I really do, I I really believe that. I mean, I I could have, yeah, absolutely persevered, but I'm not sure whether that was right for me, you know, um, individually. Um, So yeah, and then really that then opened some some other doors for me and, and, you know, the other, some other things that I was thinking of doing, so.
0: Were the bikes tools for the athlete or were they things that you developed an attachment to and was there one, that you look back on in that whole period and you go, man, that, that bike, that weekend, uh, you know, whatever it was, preparation from you and Buddha or whatever it may have been, is, the, is there a special one that you've got a soft spot for?
1: I, I don't really have a massive attachment to the bikes that I rode. You know, I'm not a, mm-hmm. I'm not a collector. Anyone that knows me knows there's, you know, there's not a trophy displayed in my house. I, I gave away all my helmets and my riding gear and I'm just not that – Type of person, you know. It's not to say that I, uh, I don't uh, have great memories and 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 love the fact that I was able to do what I did, but it's just not who I am, and I don't need to walk around and look at a trophy on the wall or (laughs) some of my old riding memorabilia. So I, you know, I don't have old bikes. In fact, I bought I bought an eighty four Honda a while back as a bit of a project to to sort of, uh, you know, get a toe in the water with some of the old stuff. But um, I, I guess if there was a bike, it's probably the 500cc, you know, the CR Honda, and I guess, you know, through the years in... 83 84 85 I did a bit of you know a bit of development work with Honda on those bikes so this probably why, you know I do have some pretty good memories about those bikes and they were particularly the I think it was the 85 when they kind of had the water cool bike it was it was uh, a bit of a game changer so yeah I think that's probably the bike that I I have the best memories of
0: Just quickly did you resto that bike that you've bought or is it a work in progress It's a work in progress, Rusty. It's in a thousand pieces. I'm
1: I'm pretty good at pulling things apart. (laughs) I'm not sure about putting them back together, but uh, yeah.
0: You said a minute ago you had a bit of time away from, from two wheels. In that period, Jeff, I think you went and worked as a plumber, you may have even tried your hand at emu farming. I mean, this could not be further removed from the dizzy heights of the world championship. How was that?
1: Yeah, well, I, I did take a year off, you know, after race after those all those years being on the road racing. And my dad came around my house one day and he said, "I think it's about time he did you did something." So, <laughs> <laughs> so he dragged me into his, his plumbing business. He, he had a few you know reasonably big jobs at the time and. Uh, yeah, and, and that was good, to be honest. So Because, you know, having never uh, had a real job, you know, since I left school, kind of, you know, in general, running your day and, and, and kind of having that freedom to where you have to be at work at, you know, seven in the morning and, and have that discipline was actually probably a good thing for me to kind of get me back into, into society. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, yeah, that that was okay. I didn't mind it. It was a good experience and um, a little bit of emu farming, and I dabbled with that, and that was that was kind of interesting as well. Uh, and I guess you know, after that, then you know, then there was sort of the you know the opportunity to get a little bit of involvement with with KTM. And I, I think even before that, I, I was also partners with a guy in an automatic transmission business, so I also had a had a play with that. So you know,
0: yeah, why not? All good life experience. Hey, your other deep love is Speedway, and, and you know, we, that harks back to you, Dad. We talked about that at the beginning of the podcast. But you did get to go sprint car racing, and it's been a good chapter of your life. The want to do it has been there for, for some time. Uh, where did the first drive happen? What was that like, and what, did, what sort of sensation did it leave you with?
1: Yeah, so... Um I think my first drive was uh, probably ninety early in '91. I met a guy called Jeff Kendrick, who's uh, pretty well known a character, and, yeah, yeah. Real, larger than life uh, Elvis Presley impersonator character. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was, you know, running a sprint car team in, in WA, and actually still still running it today with his son Jason driving the car. Um, yeah, and and really. Uh, something I always wanted to do, you know, when I was hanging around the speedways, you know, with dad. And I think, you know, I remember Elf Barbagello was one of the first guys in WA to kind of get the, the kind of modern lightweight sprint car with the, you know, the, the good wings. And, 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 they were, you know, they were quite an impressive thing to watch. And, and it was just like, yeah, one day I'm, I'm going to do that, you know. So, um, and, and follow the sport a bit, you know, during my motocross years in the States, you know, I used to go to Ascot Park and watch the sprint cars race there and sometimes the World of Outlaws and different parts of the US and so it's always always been something that I've aspired to do and, and that I got my chance and I, I think it was in a, in a sort of a guest drive match race against Ron Cricky at Bunbury Speedway and... Uh, Kind of threw me straight in and into this match race. You know, I didn't really even do any practice laps or anything. And, and, uh, yeah, so that was the first time and it was, you know, everything and more that I, that I expected, you know, so yeah. And then really, Jeff convinced me to come on board and, and I think I did the, uh, I think it was 91, 92 season and then ninety. Three, four, I think it was, or, yeah, so, and uh, did a couple of seasons there with Jeff, and I think my second season didn't go too too badly. I won a couple of races, and uh, the Australian title was at Claremont Speedway, and I qualified on the front row with Gary Brazier, and, you know, ran fourth in, in the title that year, and like like a lot of car races, you know, money money was starting to run out a bit, and, um, you know, I had a few years off, so I've sort of went, been in and out of sprint car racing for, for many, many years, and I think in... Um, the 2003 season, I won, I won the state title, actually came back and won that. So, yeah, it's, it's something I really, really enjoy doing.
0: They're an unreal beast, aren't they, Jeff? And, uh, I mean, you you need to be brave, you need that wing to work, and throttle is your friend, isn't it?
1: It is, yeah, 100%. It's another intense sport, you know, a bit like motocross is, is really intense and it takes a lot of commitment. You know, there's times when you know you've seen them rusty, you've done a bit of running yourself when you're you know you might be driving just a few inches from the wall on corner entry and and really you know you have to be committed right you you lift that throttle one little bit and you know you're in the wall so it's uh it's one of those sports you know um and there's a lot of characters around the sport as well and uh uh it's something that i i still enjoy watching today you know i'm still a fan.
0: Some good friendships for you around this period. I mean, you've, you've mentioned Jeff there before, another one in, in Alan McCarthy, the WA smash repairer. He had a supercar at one point. Did you ever get to drive that? Oh, my my memory's gone here. I can't recall. Did you get to drive it? What did you think of it? And what was it like if you did? Well, I never got to
1: drive Macca's um, supercar, but um, just going back, it must have been four or five years ago, uh, Greg Murphy invited me to Hampton Downs and... Uh, I got to drive one of the older supercars, the the H pattern shift one, and I got to do a few laps in the wet. Um, oh, whoa. at Hampton Downs. So that was, that was is a that bunch the old sprint?
0: Is that the old sprint gas car, the Tasman car? The Which old, one? The
1: old Tasman car. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it was pouring rain, and, and Murph's done a few laps with me <laughs> in the passenger seat, and and he's you know he's like, oh, you know do you want to do it i'm like oh, yeah, i kind of have to you know cuz i'm never going to get this chance again, <laughs> again. and i didn't really yeah. feel too too confident to go out in the wet but uh we we did and it was it was a it was a super cool experience yeah. yeah
0: that's a good that's a good track to do it on too jeff was it the full track and how many laps did you get
1: it was the full tr- track and i think i got sort of 10 or more laps you know so um yeah that was that was cool yeah, yeah it was really good
0: Great experience. Any other race cars before we move on to your, your business chapter? For example, did you drive speed cars, midgets at all, or anything along those lines?
1: Um, I've I've driven a midget, never really raced one. Um, I did a, I did a little bit of Formula Ford, so I did race up at Barbegallo. Uh,
0: Tell me about that. that. That's, I don't the, know if we've ever discussed this. Yeah, on
1: the <laughs> weekend when, when the touring cars were there, I actually raced the Formula Ford category, and I think I pulled a third or fourth in the first race, and then I, I had a spin in the second, so... Um, that th- that was good. It was something I was thinking about, and and you know, we we could get around Barbegalo not too badly. In, in one of those, I did a number of test sessions with a guy called uh, Brett Lupton, which you might yeah he's pretty well pretty well known in those circles. So I've done a bit with uh, Brett from Fastlane, and uh, what else? I've driven. Uh, I had a I had a um a pretty good experience in a, in a jet sprint boat. I managed to. Flip one of those over with a uh, with uh, Guy McKenna who was an AFL uh, Eagles football star. So, uh, <laughs> I've I've, I've, uh, I've done a bit of that. Um, what, what else? Yeah, you know, I've done a lot of karting, a lot of go karting. I I did the, the Grand Prix at Hong Kong one year with uh, I think Yost for Verst- uh, is it Yost? Yeah, Joost Verstappen was racing yeah. and Jan Magnussen and. Uh, I, I did. Th- I did that for a while. So you know, I've 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 dabbled in quite a few different uh, forms of of motorsport.
0: It's beyond uh, both of us now, mate. But does that mean that the Bathurst was a bit of a, a bucket list at one point? You maybe wanted to do the one thousand.
1: Yeah, I think so. You know, I, I think it was. Um, yeah, it's it's. I mean, who doesn't really want to
0: do that? Do mm. Bathurst,
1: mm. you know? I, and and you know, if one thing I've always wanted to do is is, is jump in the passenger seat and, and and do a hot lap at Bathurst, you know, and. Uh, yeah, I'm still waiting for my friend Greg Two. Greg Murphy to, <laughs> to to invite me into the into the seat. Um, actually, it wasn't even too long ago. I was I was up at Norwell and uh, and uh, Paul Morris threw me in one of the 86s, and I spent a couple of days there um, with Brody Kostecki going around uh, Norwell and fantastic. Uh, you know, and you talk about the cognitive side, and it's funny. You know, you get a couple of days in the, in the car going around uh, Norwell, and and it kind of just put me on a buzz for about four or five days. You know, it's uh, it's amazing what it what it can do. It's pretty cool.
0: want to hear an original funny joke I definitely didn't get off the internet why did the chicken cross the motocross track to get to the roost ha 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 insert laugh track here team manager roles for you start somewhere in the early 90s what was the genesis for that and and how different uh or, or difficult was that transition was it difficult for you Jeff was it maybe natural
1: um Yeah, it was, uh, I think it was, it was, it was reasonably natural, you know, I think just purely because of my background, my experience, you know, but. But the the piece that's difficult, obviously, is managing people. You know that's and that's something you, that that racing is really difficult when it comes to managing people. And we 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 hear the rumors all the time. We hear that in the teams there's backstabbing. There's you know there's 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 always relationship issues that are kind of possibly at a more more inflamed, intense level in the world of of motorsport because of its its high pressure nature. You know, and so. So one thing that, that, you know, I think the technical side and, and, and knowing the bikes and, and, and racing and racecraft are all the things that I, I had really well handled. Um, but managing young riders, managing their parents, managing their girlfriends, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, they're all the bits that, are, that that took some learning, you know. Um, yeah, that's that's the hard part.
0: You've had quite the ride, Jeff. It's been uh, amazing. What you have achieved in business was, as Lee Diffie said to me this morning, was as good, arguably even better than, than what you perhaps achieved um, in a competitive sense. Uh, what did Bronte House and, uh, you know, very successful guy in the automotive business, what did he, did he see in you? How did that connection come about? How did the path into business begin for you?
1: It really began over lunch, I've got to say, and and you know, I, I think uh, Bronte through the AmCap business in, in Western Australia had the opportunity to, uh, to 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 get the the distribution rights for KTM, you know, and that was um, around about nineteen ninety three from memory. Uh, and I guess, you know, we had a relationship through sprint car racing, actually. He, AMCAP was a sponsor of uh, Jeff Kendrick's Sprint Cars, and so I'd met Ronnie before. And I guess when the opportunity to take on KTM came about, you know, he, he obviously thought of me. You know, he, he thought maybe, maybe there's something we can do with this guy. He's only a couple of years out of his, out of, you know, racing in Grand Prix and Maybe we can uh, we can resurrect his enthusiasm for motorcycles, you know. So, so really, that's where it all started, and and um, I really just came on board initially to endorse the brand, um, you know, not really in a business sense. Although, you know, I think a year had gone past, and there was the opportunity to uh, become a shareholder of the business with a few other partners, and which I, I took the, the chance to do, and and then, you know. Yeah, I always had in the back of my mind that, you know, one day I wanted to to enter the business world. I mean, I probably really didn't have a lot of credentials to do that, in in all fairness, you know, just just really life experience on the road and so on. Um, So I didn't really have the credentials uh, to to do it, but um, I had an opportunity in... in, uh, Nineteen ninety nine to to sort of step into the business from a sales perspective. I'd sort of finished up the, the, the running the race teams, and and uh, and that's really where it, where it started, you know. And I, and I guess um, uh, Bronte was a was a good a good mentor and and and, and supportive, and I was able to uh, they they afforded me the opportunity to to learn on the job, I guess you'd say.
0: What an incredible career, Jeff. What followed was more than twenty years. Um, you know, KTM, uh, was, was the focal, but there was, you know, Husseberg in there later Husqvarna the, the synergies from the racing that you talked about the university, uh, uh, the school of motor racing, how much did that help in a, in a managerial sense? Because as we've reflected, um, earlier in terms of your, your personality, your style, you've got this great leadership way about you. You you're not afraid to roll the sleeves up and get amongst it. you, put people in places uh, that, that you trust. Uh, but importantly, they're all long-termers. When you look at the bulk of them, Jeff, you, t- you tend to form these these good teams. Did that stuff, that managerial side, come easily? Was it an extension of, of the things that you had learnt in the School of Motor Racing?
1: It, it didn't come easily, I, I, I believe. It definitely took some time. But, you know, you start to realise I mean, I think when you're a, when you're a racer, you have a certain element of selfishness, you know, about you, and and you have this huge blind spot, really, you know, sometimes, and at least I did. I think in, in when I was racing, uh, this this real extreme selfishness that, that everything it's always about you, you know, everything's about but you. But you, you do
0: actually, as an athlete, need to be like that. You actually need yeah, that quality. to some extent, mm, you
1: do. Mm. No, no, you definitely need to have some of the, those qualities. Absolutely, but. If you carry that into, you know, the business world or into a larger sort of team environment, you, you suddenly realise that that probably doesn't serve you very well, um, or serve anyone very well, for that matter. So, so that was really something that I, I really had to kind of learn. And 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 then, you know, once I realised that I needed to find and keep. And motivate the best people was really when we were able to start to piece together. I think a, a solid business and a company with the right people in the right places, um, you know, doing 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 great work, you know. And, uh, and 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 yeah, my job, you know, really was to to really, I guess, identify that talent, and once you have it, to to, to keep it on board and, and motivate it and support it and. And I guess one thing, you know, Bronte was good at, you know, we it was important to enjoy your work. Well, you know, it's important to to have fun and to have a good team atmosphere. And, and and so that's something that we we worked on over time. And uh I guess the finer art of business uh is, is something that 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 takes a while, you know. But I mean one thing that I found, particularly in the motorcycle industry, was um having been involved in riding bikes from from the very very beginning, and it's something we spoke about before. Is that you you know what the the impulse triggers are for for somebody that that wants to buy a bike, right? You 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 know what they're looking for yeah. you, you know you, you play you
0: play on the kids if it's the kids that also yeah. so that mum and dad end up having to and things like that isn't it you know
1: <laughs> Addic- addiction addiction is a very important part
0: of, of, so true. So true.
1: of uh, growing mm. you know mini 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 cycles are made to to addict
0: people <laughs> yeah. to, to, to kids to addict kids to motorcycles you know yeah. that's that's what they're made for yeah It's the sum of many parts, right, business, but racing's always been important to you and and to the brand for that matter. You you were determined uh, along the way here to be more successful in endurance competition, events like Fink. And when you look at the record that has followed Jeff with, you know, particularly at at, at Fink, you know, Ben Grabham, Toby Price, David Walsh in, in recent time, you were able to really tick that box, weren't you?
1: Yeah, we were. I mean, that was, um, uh, you know, to be honest, I wasn't really interested in Fink for a long time. And a a really good friend of mine, Colin Ross, took me up there one year to, to watch the race. And he says, look, you know, Jeff, you need to have a look at this stuff. And didn't you race it once? I did race it once, yeah, I did. I, yeah, oh yeah, I didn't finish it, but I, <laughs> but I, I raced it, and it scared the <laughs> shit out of me, to be honest. You know? <laughs> never to return again. <laughs> Maybe that's why I just never went back for so many years. So, you know, Colin took me up there, and, and I remember standing on the side of the track, and and you know, I was obviously you know heading up KTM, and and I think you know in the first twenty bikes, I, I don't even think there was one KTM, and I and I you know the, the the competitiveness in me and the racer in me my blood was starting to boil and I thought shit you know that you know we've got to come back here and 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 compete and try and win this thing and 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 try to grow the the you know um our brand share of the market up there and you know we definitely had a few pretty good failures in the first few years but we we figured it out you know and together with Colin we we formed a good team and and, and made some good strategies and and, and, you know, in the end, you know, I think developed a very successful formula for, for that race. And I, I really do enjoy the longer races, like you said. And I like the, the pit stops, the, the strategy and, um, yeah, and, and obviously winning. That's actually pretty good too.
0: It's not uncommon to see you in the middle of Fink somewhere ready for refueling with the, the crew. Is it you love that?
1: Yeah, I do like it. I I think it's fun, you know, when the riders come in. A lot of times I'd be sort of pretty much in the rider's face, relaying a little bit of information, helping them change their goggles, handing over the gel pack. And it's really a a time that's really interesting, actually, particularly if you're, let's say, on the second fuel stop when you're heading down to Fink, so, you know, about 160 k's into the race is, you know, the track's starting to get rougher. And you really get to have a good look in the eyes of the rider and see what their demeanour is. And um, just about every other rider other than Toby Price is quite flustered at that point in time. So it's 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 really, yeah, it's really cool, really fun. We always prided ourselves on doing the fastest pit stops, but also having pit areas that were ready for anything. And, and that really occurred... Early on, the first year that Toby rode Fink and his teammate was Ben Grabham and we were sort of sitting down there at the 160K mark on day one, you know, waiting for one of the bikes to come through for a fuel stop and – our eyes kind of opened up like dinner plates when we realised that we've got Toby and Ben who have been racing side by side for 160 kilometres and we couldn't favour one over the other for a fuel stop, but unfortunately we were only prepared for one rider. So it was a bit like a double stack just about. And um, from that day onwards, you know, we were always ready to refill two at once. Um, so, yeah, you know, th- th- was was. Uh, Uh, amazing and the way that the race has developed and grown and and i can only imagine you know you know in the next coming years you know that race is uh is going to be incredibly popular absolutely
0: for people that are listening to the podcast that don't know it is australia's iconic desert race our answer if you will it's not the same but it's our answer to to Baja in some ways and it begins in Alice Springs on the June long weekend on the Sunday they go down to a little settlement called Apertula more than 200 kilometers away they get to repair the bikes overnight and they come back and do it all again and they use a service road that runs beside the old Garn railway line and it is an amazing an amazing race you must go and see it at some point um if you get the chance to. You brought you brought up the other Rossi before, your good friend, Colin Ross, significant cattle station interests in, in Australia. Is there a joining of the dots here, Jeff, in you and he and, and perhaps helping Toby Price early on, who's gone on to do some remarkable things in relation to winning Dakar and so on on the international scene?
1: Yeah, I mean, we sort of came across uh, Toby. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't quite remember the year, but... We were looking for riders for our enduro team at the time, and Toby was doing a really good job on a on a Kawasaki. And I remember, um, Brad Williscroft was our team manager at the time, and you know, I just remember saying to him one day, "Hey, go go get Toby. We need you know whatever it takes. Get get him on board." And and uh, Toby came on board, and and he you know he was successful you know right from the beginning. And I think particularly you know with the KTM product, he was really able to exploit his talent and. I think after a, a season of enduro, you know, he, he expressed interest to go up to Fink and and do that event, and 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 he was a winner in his you know first time out at, at Fink, which is pretty amazing. Um, we're proud to have played a part in in I guess the the early stages of Toby's career. We were able to hopefully give him equipment for him to show his talent, and and I think as we spoke before, also introduce him to some people that were able to take his career further. So he became known to Alex Doringer, who was the KTM rally team manager on a, on a global level, who um, gave him his first opportunity at, at Dakar. Um, so Toby is a, a unique character. Um, I have tremendous uh respect for Toby and, and, a, and, a, and a love for him and what he's achieved He's is he's a, he's a really cool guy and the beautiful thing about Toby is that success has never really changed him and he is so gracious with his time and particularly with younger people um, he will sit there for six seven hours signing autographs at, at Fink and and uh, Treat every kid with respect and 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 every person. So you know it's it's very rewarding to be around someone like him.
0: So, Jeff, that that sort of leads us to culture around the brand, right? So through winning with things like that, through people like Toby, um, you know that that gives the brand, which already has cachet, but it gives it more on on the local on the local scene. But you have very cleverly before you departed there in Australia. Um, you, you got very focused on ensuring that there was passion among junior riders again i can recall you guys backing at um, at supercross events uh, uh, junior based things to showcase stuff for our for our young emerging stars and then adventure rides some of the most amazing adventure rides which which the spots on them are taken up in a heartbeat either in Australia or or New Zealand. Some of those things were really pivotal moves too, Jeff, weren't they? Yeah,
1: they, they were. That um, You know, I guess firstly with the junior riders, you know, I, I've i always had a, I, I don't know if it's a soft spot because I was kind of one of the first junior riders, you know, when, when junior racing evolved in Australia, I was, I was right there at the forefront. So I, I understood what it could mean to a young a young rider, a young person, um, and also how important it is. You know, I think if you look at a lot of sports out there, I think if there's not many kids around that sport, you better be worried about your sport. So a sport has to be relevant to younger people, uh, young and old, of course, but in particular young. Um, So, yeah, I think we always had a lot of strategies around the junior riders, competitions, sponsorship. We ran events over multiple years where KTM only junior rider events where the successful riders would get taken to Southern California, compete in the World Mini Grand Prix. You know, we had a lot of innovative events over the years to really um, support, I guess, the brand, but also younger riders. and then later on, you know, the rally scene where we were able to, I think, develop some really iconic uh, rally rides for our customers and uh, really enhance their experiences with the brand and the product. And yeah, they're, they're, they're things that, you know, I think in, in, in the latter years, we're certainly proud to, to have been a part of and, and hopefully we've, we've uh, created some great experiences for, for people.
0: I know you definitely have the COVID period, Jeff. It's been hell for for many people, but ironically, it's actually been quite good for the motorcycle industry, hasn't it? What, what's your your view of the current state of of play? Do you reckon, and perhaps even the the future?
1: Yeah, it's it's obviously it's been very good for a lot of recreational uh, product industries, and and it has been very good for for motorcycles. Um, obviously, people. Um, their choices of where they, they they spend their disposable income has has been channeled and 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 restricted and 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 maybe it's put you know motorcycling back on the radar for a lot of people. No one can can as as nobody really predicted that it would be positive for <laughs> COVID would be positive for the motorcycle industry. I think conversely, it's difficult to predict what will happen thereafter, but. Um, because it really depends on uh, how much the world opens up and how fast it opens up, which would distract people from, uh, distract the, mo- the money that they have and also the, the time and, and interest they have for an activity such as motorcycle riding. Uh, ironically, it's been the off-road segment of motorcycling that's really probably benefited the most. So it's definitely recreational and it's definitely uh grown a lot in the in the area of mini bikes fun bikes so you know it's been very positive in in that respect so it's 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 a bonus it's good for the industry and um, you know particularly up here in Queensland where I'm located these days you know there's been some additional ride parks open up and and, 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 and more places for people to ride bikes so um, I hope that um, you know the, the the kick that the industry's got out of it lasts a, a long time.
0: So do I. Electric is clearly the next big thing in an automotive sense, Jeff. Just you know, what about your thoughts from a two-wheel standpoint? I mean, in the, in the past decade, KTM and the and the factory there in in and in, in in Austria did some amazing things around two-stroke development. And for old-school types like me, that was that was great. You you still you know love the the sound and and smell of the thing that you grew up around, but. what what do you think short and long term the landscape will will look like? Uh, Electric, possibly more in a commuter sense, but can you see the adventure stuff we've just been talking about still having a combustion engine or will that change?
1: The adventure segment is probably the only one where I think uh, it's hard to say, you know, it's really going to come down to... So what sort of range is, is possible and then obviously the recharge time on, on that range because uh, I guess an adventure bike generally has a range of 300 to 400 kilometres um so yeah that may be at the moment uh, a, a difficult challenge when it comes to electric but um, I do feel like electric does it does have a place in motocross in particular um, KTM already has a, a kids electric mini that's performs really, really well. Recently, actually, I just took uh, pos- uh, possession of a KTM Freeride ride electric, and, uh, and that's a phenomenal bike um, to ride. It's just amazing. It's easy to ride. It's uh, no gears, of course, no clutch. So, you know, my wife jumped on it. She's not a bike rider, and she jumped on it last weekend and was able to ride that bike and, and come back with a huge smile. So that's fun. So so electric can make motorcycling much more accessible to people. So I think it has a place. And then, you know, when it comes to motocross, which is more short course and, and intense, I, I think there's some pretty good stuff going on out there, and I I wouldn't be surprised to, to, to see electric race bikes out there soon.
0: Phenomenal tenure with the KTM family, Jeff, over more than 20 years. Was it the right time to step away? You did it on your terms in, in 2020, I think it was. How hard was that decision and what made you arrive at it?
1: Um, yeah, I think you get to a point where you feel like you're kind of repeating some of the things you've done before. And and really, for me, um, I guess it just, it just felt right, you know, it, 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 I think – we, we 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 achieved most of the things we wanted to, and it was time to step away, uh, take a break, take a breather, and, and like any business, you know, really at the end of the day, you know, in particular with KTM, it's a it's a it's become a large business, and and really, you know, you're just the custodian, you're just there steering the ship, you know, until someone else comes along and, and steers it. So so I you know I had my run, I had I had I had fun. Um, you know we had some good achievements along the way and it was really time to step away and take a break and, and really look at what else is going on out there and uh, so yeah who knows what you know ultimately what the, what the future would bring.
0: So you're a grandfather now I can't imagine that proud family man I know that very much what's on the on the the work radar at the moment for you?
1: The work radar, well, I'm currently working for the Motorcycle Holdings uh, Group just on a part-time basis, uh, you know, helping them grow their business, so um, with all areas of growth, whether it be acquisitions or developing existing sites and so on. So yeah, I'm enjoying uh, doing a bit of work there, Um, but it's nice now to have the extra time with family. My daughter's 13 and 15 and I've got my boys back in Perth and uh, yes, I am a grandfather and uh, one time over, and, and not far off uh, having having a second grandchild. So, so yeah, it's nice to be able to have the time to uh, to catch up with with family and, and friends. You know, I guess when you're heading up a, a business like KTM, um, they're still on a on a, a very steep growth path, and uh, there's not a lot of rest. <laughs> so, so it's it's nice just to slow down that little bit.
0: Mate, it's been fabulous to catch up with you. I I, I love it. We've had some great. Um, experiences over the years that you've that you've helped with the statute of limitations has probably passed on this one but I won't mention names or motorcycle brands but we would when we came to Barber Gallo for the supercars in years gone by or catch up with some friends we would go dirt bike riding uh, in the bush on the Monday after the race invariably there was a couple of drivers there and they were some of the funniest times of my life now there was a colleague uh, amongst us who may or may not be living in the United States now who had to work uh, one particular night before we set off on our big rides and when he arrived at the said ranch before we were heading off for our big ride the next day we had strung his dirt bike up like a pinata, and pointed some lights at it, and he was <laughs> he was wound up like a clock when he saw it too, mate. We've had some unreal times, and I'm looking forward to catching up with you and having a little red wine at um at some stage. Congratulations on an amazing career as a competitor, um even more successful in an industry sense as an executive. and I know you got you've got a lot more uh, still to offer in that space, mate. So. Go get them and enjoy some family time. Thank you very much. Thanks.
1: Thanks, Rusty. It's been uh, it's been, been fun to relive the past and, uh, and especially um, with you, mate. We've had some good times together and uh, thanks, thanks for the opportunity.
0: Rusty's Garage is written and presented by me, Greg Rust. Series producer and editor is Alex Mitchell. Audio production by Darcy Thompson.
1: listener.